Welcome to Governmental Astrology. I'm Linda Rowe. Today is March 8th, 2020, and this is the 13th episode of the second season. In today's episode, I'm going to take a look at the financial system of the United States. Uh, where we are in the astrological scheme of things is very similar to where we were right before the 2008 financial collapse. And I've been looking at some of the events which occurred in 2006, 2007, and 2008, and I'm noticing that money is a very difficult subject. And of course, I knew that before, but this is going to take a bit of a scorpionic deep dive, and today's only the beginning of it. So I used to work with a gentleman who was a Bible-believing Christian. I shared an office with him uh, when I started working as a chaplain. And there's many things to say about my year of sharing an office with this gentleman. But for today, I'm just going to say that he was quite often very upset that our the money, our system of money in the United States was not based on gold. And he railed against this nearly on a weekly basis. Something would come up that would cause him to say that our monetary system was a farce now that it was not based on gold. And this used to cause me to think. I was interested because he had given a great deal of thought to the subject, and I had given very little. From all of his talk on the gold standard, I understood that a Democrat had been responsible for removing our monetary system away from gold. And Roosevelt was that Democrat. Um, I have a feeling, although I can't be 100% sure, um, unless I was going to talk with uh, Damon about what he meant. But um, I also have a vague uh, memory of, of money being taken off the gold standard when I was a kid. And so uh, that memory, I think, was during the Nixon administration. So Roosevelt and Nixon, a very interesting combination that speaks to the complexity that is our monetary system. All right, so talking about basing things on gold, um, gold and silver are very fascinating metals. We have in astrology a story about a king who wanted to be able to turn things into gold simply by touching them. That king was King Midas, and he was sorry that he had asked for the ability to turn things to gold almost as soon as he was given it. And that's because when King Midas asked for the ability, he forgot to ask for control of the ability. And so he turned everything, including the food he ate and the water he drank into gold. Eventually he even killed his own daughter with his ability. And um, the quest to be the richest meant that everything, everything turned into an object of value. And whenever something is an object of value, it loses its its life nature. It's um, it loses its life. Nothing can be, nothing can live in the presence of such an environment. It's it's very toxic. You know, when we use the term the Midas touch, we almost always use it as a positive term. Oh, he has the Midas touch. When we say that, we mean that everything he touches does really well. But Midas, uh, it wasn't—it wasn't so easy for him. Um, and so, the way that we 
relate to our monetary system deserves a deeper look. So gold and silver are both metals, and they're both metals that have a very low melting point. So you don't really have to heat gold or silver up very high before they turn to liquid. And when they're liquid, you can pretty much do anything you want to with them. You can mold them, you can shape them. Um, as metals, they're, they're really too soft to do very much with them, but you certainly can adorn yourself with both gold and silver, and you can make utensils out of them. The fact that they both melt at very low temperatures is, is important because there's something about being a liquid that is essential to our monetary system. Uh, we require money um, that flows from one place to another. Um, when you hold on to money, it, it can be a solid, but uh, money only works like money if it has the ability to flow. Interestingly, money cannot be a gas. So um, if money or monetary funds evaporate, they're gone forever. Um, there's one other thing. Human beings want money to flow uphill against the laws of nature. Um, money doesn't really flow downhill in human systems, only uphill. It may trickle down, but it flows up. The fact that money is supposed to flow uphill and not downhill should be concerning to you if you've been listening to anything in this podcast. To get money to flow uphill, you need to add quite a lot of energy to the system. And how much energy do we have to add to make money flow uphill? And, and that is an essential question, but um, it's a question that we've really never sought an answer to. We don't know how much, how much energy it takes to keep our system going. We have very little idea. And um, in terms of a physical process, I have just a tiny thing to add in. We know that we're actually wanting money to flow and not that it's some sort of a capillary action. Um, capillary action does bring liquid up, but um, only over short distances. And we like our money to be able to do whatever we want to and to flow freely. And so, going back to my, my friend Damon, um, whether our monetary system is based on gold, on silver, on gold and silver, or on something else entirely, the system is designed to allow some people the ability to do things. And the system is designed to keep others from being able to do those same things. So we generally let people with money do what they want, and we generally keep people without money from doing many, many things. Um, when I look at this, I see that money is related to land ownership and how those without land lived under the control of those who did own the land. And I don't see any actual proof of that in or, you know, in the history or even really 
anything that I've read, but Europe lived under the feudal system for around 500 years where land ownership was key. And even the system of invasion that came before that, uh, land was the essential ingredient to that invasion because agriculture was so important. And so for me, I, I see a definite connection between land and our monetary system, even if it's only a symbolic relationship today. Um, it's interesting. Money is an energy that is not found on earth. There is nothing like money that exists naturally. Animals in the wild do not need anything like money. Although there is a podcast with, it's, uh, it's called Hidden Brain with Shankar Vedantam. And there's an episode in there that talks about introducing money to monkeys and how well the monkeys did with the, with the concept of money and better even than some humans can do, if I'm remembering the episode correctly. However, even though the monkeys could use money better than the humans, they saw it more as a game than anything real. And um, thank goodness the monkeys were not given long-term access to this money. It didn't actually change who the monkeys were. Uh, and I have to say thank goodness, because I think if the monkeys had uh, prolonged contact with money, they would change in some very profound and detrimental ways because at the very essence of it, money is actually uh, a poison. And, um, even though we humans love it and we've been using it for a very long time. Um, okay, so we've been talking about the metals, gold and silver. And there's two other metals at least that resemble gold and silver. And these metals are called mercury and lead. Now, mercury is a metal that has the ability to either be a liquid or a gas. And there, there doesn't seem to be a solid form of mercury, except when it's combined with another substance. Lead is a metal, and it's so soft that it doesn't really ever need to be a liquid. You could pretty much form it into anything you want just because it's so soft, but um, it does have a very low melting point, just like gold and silver. Gold and silver and mercury and lead do not exist in pure form on the earth. They're almost always found in combination with other elements. It's only humans who like these substances to be pure. And as I said, it takes quite a lot of energy to purify these metals. And we've never really asked even how much energy it takes to purify these metals. Um, we tend to love all three of them, money, gold, and silver, um, no matter what problems they cause us. We just simply like it, and we believe that it's a good thing. But gold and silver and mercury and lead are, are all heavy elements, he heavy metals, I'm sorry. Um, in fact, mercury is one proton heavier than gold. 
And mercury is just about the heaviest element that you can get without having to have had having to have undergone radioactive decay. So in radioactive decay, elements throw off protons and neutrons. Um, so lead uh, is definitely a result of radioactive decay. You can get lead from other things too, but um, much of the lead results from having uh, a a decay process from an, um, a heavier element. Both lead and mercury are, are extremely toxic. We don't allow either of them um, to be in the in the um, the world today, really. Um, although when I was a kid, they were both a dime a dozen. Um, and certainly throughout history, humans have le have used both mercury and lead. Um, gold and silver are also toxic, though they're not too much less. We just don't believe that they're toxic. All right, so let's get back to money. Money exists in relationship. Um, it, it exists in a special type of relationship, uh, transactional or unequal relationship. If everybody had the same amount of money, um, we wouldn't really need money. We'd think that the concept of money would be absurd. Um, it just We simply wouldn't need it if everyone had the same amount of it. The fact that we do not have the same amount of it is what makes people um, want and need money. So, um, if, if we all had the same value, we, we wouldn't need money either. Um, we live in a, a world where we have an inequality in value. And money, because it measures value, um, and there's no such thing as value, there's no such thing as money on the earth, but we have this thing, money, and we use it to measure value, this requires some sort of belief. Um, we, we just, to connect these two things that don't really exist, it, it requires belief. We think that there's such a thing as value. And we let people live and die based on this thing. Um, but there is no such thing. And value is a construct of belief. So belief is a prerequisite for money. Is this, is this what I'm saying? Is this true? It, it is what I'm saying, and it is true. Uh, today, gold and silver have value, but they are by no means the most valuable elements that exist. The most valuable elements are the rare earth elements. Um, they are the most valuable substances on earth. Um, rare earth elements are a group of elements that are, as they are named, hard to find. In fact, today rare earth elements are found, or mined, in about 10 countries. So, um, today we have crude oil being very valuable, 
and we have rare earth metals being very valuable. What, what do we use rare earth metals for anyway? We use them for many things, but mainly specialized glass, uh, the type of glass that we use for our phones. That's, that's mainly what we're using rare earth elements today. And with our current system of our phones becoming obsolete every two years or less, with 8 billion people on the planet, most of whom have a phone, we are using up our rare earth metals at an astonishing rate. And we obtain rare earth metals at great cost to the earth, yet we seem not to care. Get me a new phone. I need a new phone. If there was ever an explosive item, it is cell phones. We never used cell phones, never had any need of them, only a few short years ago. All right, 40 years ago. But from zero to eight billion in 40 years, that's quite an explosion. I didn't even have my first cell phone until after I started teaching, and that was in 1991. Um, so even though we say cell phones were around before the 1990s, only some people were using them. Uh, it's been really only about 30 years of explosive growth. So, <clears throat> again, I come back to the fact that money isn't something that we actually need. Like we need air or water or food or relationships with others. And so money is something that measures something else, like the ability or the right to do things. If I have money, I can do things. If I do not have money, then I cannot do things. Like live. It's hard to live without money. And I would say it's impossible to live without money. Unless you constantly ask other people to give you things. And we hate people who constantly ask us for things. But let's be very clear. The people who have no money are no less dependent than the people who have lots of money. We only believe that people without money are more dependent. And we hate dependency. Hate it. Yet, dependent we are. We just don't want to see it in ourselves. But here comes the virus, and it's showing us what we're dependent on. We are dependent on our monetary system. We can't do anything if our monetary system isn't working correctly. And the virus is coming along and it's dampening the explosive energy of money. And when it does that, it keeps many of us from doing what we want to do. But what's really happening is that the virus is providing a level playing field. Some of us have no money normally and we can't do things normally. But those of us who have lots of money do not want to be in the same predicament as those without money. We resent the level playing field. So instead of bringing everybody up like we could if we wanted to, the virus is bringing everybody down. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. We have the ability to allow all of us to participate in society. Or the earth is telling us that none of us will be able to participate in society. We are one. 
and inequality is over. I do want to say something about billionaires for one second. Billionaires make their money work for them. That means that billionaires earn money exponentially. And this should be a caution to all of us. We do not have a need for some of us to earn nothing and for others of us to earn exponentially. It just doesn't work. All right. It's interesting to me that that gentleman that I spoke of at the beginning of the podcast, Damon, the Bible-believing Christian who wanted money to be based on gold, he used to laugh quite a bit about toilet paper, something that he admitted that he hoarded. Uh, he said his grandmother called it white gold. And here in the United States, we are experiencing a shortage of white gold. Even those who say that everyone is overreacting, they just don't believe in this pandemic. Um, they also seem to be hoarding toilet paper. And it's very interesting to me, this relationship that people in the United States have with their toilet paper. You know, toilet paper is a thing that we shouldn't really even be using. There is no actual need to kill trees, shred them up, use them once, and then throw them out, along with our waste products, into our water system. Yet toilet paper is one of our very favorite things in this country, and it makes very little sense to me. We want our toilet paper to be quilted, soft, luxurious. I'm not even sure where all that comes from, but man, oh man. I once worked in a company that provided health care to at-risk seniors. The company was financed by the government. The government, uh, the governmental program was called PACE, which stood for Providing All-Around Care for the Elderly. If you write it out, you'll see the PACE, P-A-C-E, Providing A, All-Around C, Care, and E for the Elderly. Um, it was sort of a replacement for the hospice system, and it was an effort to keep seniors out of nursing homes. And so I worked in the rehabilitation, the physical rehabilitation part of this company, and I worked with physical therapists and occupational therapists, and I was the aide to both of them. And one day the therapists came back from some conference, and they wanted to share what they had learned, so we gathered around the table, and one of them put a roll of toilet paper on the table and then told each of us to take some toilet paper. They didn't say anything else, just take some toilet paper. And so I watched as each person engaged in some sort of what I consider to be ritual that they use while they're sitting on the toilet. I watched people wrapping their hands in copious amounts of toilet paper. I grew up in a rural location, and my parents' home had a septic tank. Anything would cause this septic tank to clog. Eggshells were number one, and lots of toilet paper was number two. So I never use much toilet paper. It simply is not something that I can engage in. Well, after we had all taken our toilet paper off the road roll, the therapist gleefully told us that those of us who took very few squares 
were the closest to dementia. <laughs> it's hard for me to even believe that this happened, but it did. Um, in fact, I took so few squares off the roll that the therapist told me that I was already demented. And everyone around the table began to laugh and make fun of me. It was an odd occurrence. I have Parkinson's and many people with Parkinson's become demented. And while I'm sure that I'm not demented, I, I have people that check me out regularly. I, I don't exactly think it's very funny when people think that I'm demented. Um, and over how much toilet paper a person pulls off the roll? Are you kidding me? That is a measure of my dementia? Uh, we use money to determine a person's value and toilet paper to determine a person's mental functioning in this country. And it's very weird on both accounts. There's so much more to understand about our monetary system, but it's so complicated that I just wanted to introduce it today. Um, so from here, there's, there's one more thing that I want to say about belief. Uh, we recently had two women on a program on CNN. Uh, one woman was from the Bernie Sanders campaign, and the other woman was from Joe Biden's campaign. I wasn't listening to the program, and I didn't. I haven't since then. But um, I've seen pictures, and I've read the transcript of part of the conversation between the two women. Uh, basically, the woman from the Biden campaign, a uh, white woman, she told the black woman from the Bernie campaign how she should interpret the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr., especially his teachings on the problem that is white, that is the white moderate. And so I find that I want to say something about moderate white people, but from my own perspective, I want to say this. So the further up the patriarchal ladder you go, the more strongly you hold your beliefs. This is not something that we commonly look at, but the more you believe, the better you are able to do in this patriarchal system. And what am I really saying? Belief in what? What do you mean? Well, belief in yourself. Belief in the supremacy of those on top. Belief that white people are doing something right and everybody else is doing something wrong. If black people were only more like white people, they'd do better. But black people insist on being lazy or violent or dependent. These are the sorts of things that people tell themselves about others. It's astonishing. Uh, but the higher up you are on the patriarchal ladder, the more closely you tend to hold these types of beliefs. Whether you want to or not, that's just the way it is. Um, and so if you're somebody who's not as high up on the patriarchal ladder, then the belief system says that you don't know as much as the person who's higher than you. They're higher than you, and that's why they know more. They, they got up there for a reason, and you stayed down below for a reason. Um even if you don't think that this is the case when you're on top of the patriarchal ladder. Um, but 
You know, many people at the top of the patriarchal ladder know very little about how everything works. They believe that they know how things should work. And because their beliefs are stronger, they tend not to listen to anyone else, anyone who's lower than them. When confronted <clears throat> with this belief that the people on the top know better than the people on the bottom, uh, when confronted with this, why people don't quite know what to do with it. Um, but as beliefs are not something that allow for confrontation very easily, uh, because you have to defend belief, it, it is hard to defend yourself against someone who's calling you a racist. Uh, when you know that you're a good person, because your beliefs tell you you're a good person, um, and yet when they're calling you a racist, how do you defend yourself against that? Um, you can defend yourself on the basis of not being a bad or an evil person. Um, and so what it comes off looking like is that you have white fragility, but it's all based on belief. Um, and you just don't, it's, it's just, it's not a real, it's not a real way. It's not, it doesn't, the fact that you believe in the system does not mean that it's real. It just means that you believe in it. I can describe this a little bit differently. For me, it makes a much better picture. But um, many people who consider themselves to be progressives think that they've changed. And that because they put the change in the past, they've changed. They don't really have to do anything else to change. In essence, um, I see these people as having rolled down the windows in the car. And so they're sitting inside the car. The windows are rolled down. They can access the fresh air. They know what's going on outside. And because they can access the fresh air, they sort of forget that they're still inside the vehicle. It's only the windows that are rolled down. Everything else is still locked up tight. But these people think that they're in the real world. They're inside, but they think they're in the real world. So other people, uh, there, there are other people that haven't changed at all. They're writing with their windows closed, rolled all the way up. But those people know that their windows are rolled all the way up. They don't tend to act like they are anything different than what they are. They're closed up and they know it. And so that's your two groups of, of white people, the ones that have the windows rolled down and think that they're doing fabulous, and the ones that have their windows rolled up. Um, and Martin Luther King was saying that the ones with the windows down are the hardest to get to move. And that's because it's hard to get out of the vehicle through the window. Very hard. It's very clumsy. It's much more comfortable to stay seated inside. And that's what the progressives are doing. They're done participating in change. The change is in the past for them. And they believe that they're doing really well with their windows rolled down. I would encourage white people who have windows down that the job is not over. 
You still need to open up the door. You need to open up the door and get out of the vehicle. The world is a pretty wonderful place when you're on your own two feet. All right. Well, I'll be back. Um, and as always, I'm glad you're here. If you need to contact me, please give me a call, 720-608-0309. My email address is governmentalastrology at gmail.com.